was corny with that Illuminati mess. Hey, hey, welcome to the Vagistine Podcast. It's Vanessa here, where you know we're having courageous conversations about love, sex, and everything in between. And today, we are talking about the birds and the bees and the sex talk and all that, I guess, serious stuff with Melissa Carnegie from Sex Positive Families. And I'm super, super duper excited because Melissa is one of my boos out here. So, hey, Melissa. Hey, hey. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for making the time, and thank you so much for agreeing to be on on really short notice. I really appreciate that. This um, this whole conversation, um, as being sex educators and working with young people and working with parents, I was like, wait, wait, there's something here. There's something here that we can talk about, because it's, we've known each other for a while, and I'm like, I don't know like how we're going to make it work, or what really made sense. And so this month when I was sitting down, I was like... Oh my gosh, we could do this. We can totally do this. So I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you. So let's get into it. So can you share a little bit about you? Who are you? What do you do? And what got you into doing what you do? Yeah, so I am a sex educator and a social worker. I'm in Austin, Texas, and I've been working in sexual health for uh, a little over 11 years now. Mm -hmm. I was in HIV and sexually transmitted infections, like public health at different levels, nonprofit, state government. And then uh, a year and a half ago, I branched off on my own uh, because I kind of felt like the cubicle walls were closing in on me, you know, and I decided that I wanted to work with families. I wanted to teach parents how to have talks with the children in their lives about sexual health uh, because that's something that I've been doing in my own parenting. I've been parenting for the last uh, 20 years. My oldest uh, is a sophomore in college. And I've seen, you know, firsthand the benefits of having early and ongoing talks with children, especially with our girl-identified children. Mm. Um, and, and that's why I love so much what you do in terms of that badgesting. And I really think that hitting those conversations early and normalizing these things and creating that environment where nothing is taboo is the most effective thing that we can do and, and you know, real prevention happening. And so, um, so yes, I started Sex Positive Family. And uh, through it, I teach parents, caring adults, professionals, how to strengthen sexual health talks with children in their lives. And alongside that, I also teach sex education to middle and high school students uh, across two different curricula. So I I work with a comprehensive curriculum called Unhushed, and I also work with a teen pregnancy prevention curriculum called Remix. Mm. Um, And so every day I'm in the classroom and I'm working with youth and having, uh, like you say, courageous conversations, Mm -hmm. tackling their curiosities, teaching them about their bodies, about sex, about relationships, Um, and they're hungry. They are hungry Mm -hmm. for this information. They are bombarded, as you know. Um, They're bombarded with so much uh, and often do not have the space to be able to make good sense of it so that they can make informed choices. So I love creating those spaces for young people. Um, But then I also love giving uh, adults the 
kind of inside, you know, tips and inside scoops. How can they create these spaces? Because I do believe that parents are the number one influencers. Mm -hmm. Sex educators, you know, we just pop in to these classroom environments and not all students, you know, are getting access to sex education. And so parents really have the the, the golden opportunity to be able to support the sexual health um, and have these ongoing talks so that they can create really confident and empowered young people in this world. Yes, I love all of those things. And I feel, I, I mean, we share so many different things. And I think one of the best things that we share is the teaching in the classrooms because teaching kids is something else. Like I don't think people, <laughs> I don't think people oh, really yeah. understand. Like last week I had a class with uh, a group of fifth grade boys and we just covered, um, we covered anatomy. And so, you know, I was talking about like, well, the clitoris is a P-shaped organ and it's tingly to the touch. And you know, this is the lips, mm-hmm. this is the vagina. And so one boy, I could tell he was adding up all the pieces in his in his head, and he was like, "All right, Miss Vanessa, so how does a girl beat her meat?" And I was like, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry." <laughs> what? And he was they, like, tell, they, tell, they do not miss words. They tell <laughs> them like it is, and especially that that's when you know that is a compliment. That's when you know that you have created that safe space when they will say whatever comes off of their mind with no shame. I love it. It's just amazing because I'll be talking with parents who then try and fight me on some of the stuff that we go into the classroom and talk about. And they're like, well, wh- why do you feel like you need to say these things or teach these things? I'm like, well, I don't need to do anything. Your son or daughter mm-hmm. has already told me. So you want to sit here and act, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> right. But they're actually teaching us stuff or using language or whatever, using their imaginations, getting on the internet, doing a whole bunch of things that we are not even privy to. So I just love, right. oh, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. One of the exercises that we do, um, one of the earlier activities in one of the uh, curriculum is uh, having them come up with as many, you know, slang terms or synonyms for, you know, body parts, mm. for genitals. Mm. And I'm telling you, in just 60 seconds, <laughs> I the, the words that they can come up with, I have never even heard. Um, it was over 125 words in one of the, the classes. And I'm no. just like, this if they only knew, but the thing that they were keenly aware of that we were able, when we process afterwards is that they know that these, many of these are not words that they're allowed to say, Mm. but they hear them, right? They hear them, they have access to them, but they're not allowed to talk about them. uh, And especially not with adults. And so that's, that's really where we're doing them a disservice is when we create these taboos and these secrets. And, you know, again, they need that space to process. Definitely. Definitely. And, when it comes to the when it comes to this topic and having you on the aha moment I had was I feel like I've been having more I I mean I I feel like being an adult and being around my parents now is just such a different experience than growing up because it's like we can talk now we can say things that Mm -hmm. we never really said before ask questions uh, that we never asked. And I feel like for over the last three months, I've been having these conversations with my parents where, or different things would come up where it really became apparent why this work is important. Because at first when mm-hmm. in college, when I took this route and I became super interested and I realized like, this is my passion, this is my life's work. And, uh, and when my parents knew that I'd be doing this kind of stuff full time, 
the number one question, like my dad would always say, like, why would you just like talk about vaginas for a living? Like not really understanding what sex ed was. And then my mom would just be like, I don't really get it. And so I took my mom to a class with me one time where I was teaching parents and she just sat back and was like, oh my gosh, I didn't tell y'all about half of that stuff. Like, <laughs> like she made sure that she covered like, don't, you know, if somebody touches you inappropriately, tell me. But as far mm-hmm. as all the other, inf- like the things that you need to know for real life, like loving yourself, right. <laughs> liking right. your body, um, interacting in a healthy, productive, fruitful relationship. Those are things that I feel last a lifetime. Like we, and we must know them from relationship to personally to friendships. And so to not even have that basis, sometimes I think about what could have happened to me or mm. how my life could have been shifted. And I, me and my parents went to Haiti a couple of um, weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and we were celebrating my aunt's 80th birthday. And we just so happened to be talking because there were, there were some preteens who were living in my aunt's house, um, some girls that they'd taken in, and my aunts are older. Like, one is 80, the other is 70, in her 70s. And they mm. are not having conversations. Like, they're basically the primary caregivers of three preteen girls right. in their in their homes. Um, and I was like, wait a second. What's, there seems to be some stuff happening. One of the girls was having, like, some boy issues. And so I was telling my mom, I was like, you need to talk with them about, like, from parent to parent, because, like, I'm still little Vanessa. Nobody cares what little Vanessa has to say. But I was like, this is how we end up pregnant. This is how we end up with adverse things happening to us that we don't want to happen to us. So this is how things happen under our radar. And we're like, how did this happen? And it's like, because no one's taking responsibility and talking. And it was in that moment my mom was like, oh, I never said these things to you because culturally – we don't, we don't talk about that. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about that. Right, right. <laughs> she was like, I expected you all to just have common sense. Like, and I said, well, common sense doesn't get like, what, what, what the heck does that mean? Right. What does yeah, that, 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 that <laughs> There's such a mis- there's, just, no, there's no such thing as common. Right. And it's you like, find out about it. <laughs> it's like, what are all Yeah, absolutely. Things? I mean, and you know, now, so like, yeah, now, uh, young people have ready access to, you know, porn and to sexually explicit media just at their fingertips. Yeah. But like for me, you know, I grew up in a Catholic infused, you know, household. That's right. That's and right. so, you know, that's <laughs> not something that as a child I was to be talking about. I I had an awareness that those kinds of things were like for adults. Mm. Um, but it was not like spoken. And right. so I was sneaking around uh, on HBO <laughs> looking at real sex. Yes. That was sex ed. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I remember, too, that there was this floppy disk. Yes, I said floppy disk. Uh-oh. There was this floppy disk because <laughs> my dad was in the computer industry. And so we had like a big, big, giant IBM computer. And there was this one floppy disk that, that, you know, amongst a sea of them that I stuck in one day. And it was like these very DOS prompty digital like <laughs> sex acts 
with with like the you know like super digital super not low super low tech super yes. IBM you know first gen like sex things happening yes. <laughs> and that was you know those types of things I remember getting in trouble for being really curious and looking at those things so you know that was like really early digital porn <laughs> So, yeah, it's like these are, we are not there to have these talks, you know, the the curiosities will get fed because, you know, young people, you know, rightfully so are are really curious, but there's like this, there's this misconception that sexuality is something that, you know, shows up like a rite of passage, you know, in in teen years or something, but it's, it's with us from, you know, when we're in utero all the way till our last Mm -hmm. breath. So that, that's something that, you know, a lot of parents really need to, you know, get calibrated to so that they can start to think of it differently right. and not see it as just something that you know they're they're they wait till their teens to have a talk you know yes yes I feel that I I I don't ever I don't ever remember getting the talk but I do remember on my 18th birthday I believe my dad called and was like hey happy birthday don't get pregnant and I was like okay um <laughs> and at that point, I still, I was still confused myself. And it's funny because it's like, I've come so far, but you know, same thing. Me, you know, I didn't realize we had such similar backgrounds, went to Catholic school as well from third grade to 12th grade. And mm-hmm. then my dad was a computer scientist. So I had the IBM and had like a computer in the house really young. <laughs> and, there you I, go. and the thing is, I remember that, like, you know, of course, like now you have the internet, you got everything at your fingertips, but I still didn't get it. Like you could see images, you right. know, I saw the Playboy magazine, like I saw those things, but I still didn't get it. And I remember being 17 um, and I was watching the H, uh, Showtime show, I think it's, oh, whatever, it's on one of the paid channels. Uh, I was watching the, the show Soul mm. Food, and on Soul Food, the husband was having a fantasy about his wife, and, like, his fantasy was, like, they were just, like, having rough sex or something, or just, like, doing it wherever and whatever. And I remember seeing it, and I called my, I called my best friend at the time, and I was like, oh my gosh, oh my god, they're showing rape on television. And she was like, what? What? What are you watching? So she tunes in and she's like, Vanessa, like they're having sex. And I was like, are you kidding? He's drilling, he's drilling a hole inside of her. Like that is not sex. Like that is terrible. Like, so I'm like immediately turned off. I was like, who would want to do that? Like, it looks so terrible. It looks so dangerous. And she was like, wait a second how the hell did you think people had sex? And I was like, like the way that they do on the soap opera. Like you got to put some flowers down, some flower Uh petals down, and then you like climb on top of the person and that's it. Like, because in the soap operas, they don't move. Oh, wow, yeah. I didn't know anything. And she, I mean, like, it's still a story to this day because she like, like, like she lost the phone cracking up. She was like, what the hell? So she finally (laughs) picks the phone back up. And I was like, I don't, how am I supposed to know any of this stuff? Like, not really thinking. And then right. I get to 12th grade where we have the, the, we have a morality class where we had a nurse come in. And the nurse says, 
all right, you know, people who have who have sex before marriage, of course, that's terrible. Uh, she said a few stats that I distinctly remember. She said that couples that use birth control and condoms um, will break up within five years of being together. So I'm in the front row oh, like, wow. oh, yeah, taking this in. That's what, yep, I'm going to do that. Thanks, lady. I'm ready for college. But I go to college, and then I'm, like, talking to my now husband, who was a, just my friend at the time. And I was like, listen, when I have sex, I'm never using condoms. I'm never, like, uh, using birth control. Uh, and he was so, he was like, wait, who taught you that? And I was like, I taught, I got, you know, they taught me at school. And he's like, do you know there's like AIDS out here and there's like pregnancy and there's like stu- like STDs out here? No idea. None. Clueless. Clueless. Yeah. If, he, <laughs> if he was just anybody else, that would have been a real right? scenario for you. So you were you were protected. You were being you were being looked after, for, you know, from, from right? above. <laughs> Boom. And that's my husband now, y'all. So I just, it's like. There you go. From day one. Right? He was like, oh, we're going to have to work with this. That's the thing. He was just like, what? And like, he just never, and he had a very different background than me. Like his mother, his, you know, his parents talked to him early on. Like she talked, she showed them the pictures. Like, of course, like that's not how we would do it, but like it worked. It worked for them. It worked for him. Yeah. And there was a constant yeah. conversation going on that I, like STDs never crossed my mind. That wasn't something that my parents ever talked mm-hmm. about. I, I yeah. just, I, yeah, it just, it kind of, blo- I think when I, often when I think about it, I'm like, man, this could have, like you said, turned out a whole different way. And yeah. the other thing. And that, it does. It does right. for so many people. And the thing that comes up for me is, it was my wedding day when my mom was putting my veil on is when she was like, I have something to talk to you about. And I was like, sis, it's time to go. Like, we don't, (laughs) (laughs) we don't have time for this. I can't, I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta go. You built up the courage finally after all this time. And I gotta go. So I just think that, I, I mean, I have a whole bunch of feelings, clearly, but why do you think it's so damn hard for people to talk to their kids about this topic? Yeah, it's, it's a, it can be a lot of things. So uh, what I have found in the work that I do mm-hmm. with uh, parents is a few things. So one can be trauma that they've experienced themselves, mm. um, that talking about these topics can be triggering um, because, you know, not everyone has had safe or consensual or positive experiences with body, sex, relationships, all those things. And so, you know, parents uh, can can end up coming up against their own, uh, you know, experiences and, and challenges with, with their, related to their own sexual health journey. So there's that yes. piece. Yes. Um, and then there's also just the misconception that, you know, when we talk about sex, when we talk about bodies, when we talk about these things, that it's going to mean that children are going to want to go and just have sex, right? Mm-hmm. That they're going to want to go act out these things. And, um, you know, as, as, as you know, that that is 
furthest from the truth. Mm-hmm. And the research, you know, supports that young people, when they have uh, early and ongoing conversations, when they have a safe place to talk about these, that they tend to delay their first uh, sexual encounter, mm-hmm. and they also have fewer sex partners, and they also uh, tend to use contraception when they do have sex. Yes. And so, knowledge truly is power. But there is that, you know, misconception out there, um, and then just. Uh, again, parents thinking that uh, sexuality is not something that exists prior to teen years, mm. uh, that it's about sex, that it's solely about sex. But that's why I talk in terms of sexual health and try to calibrate you know, families to understand that we're talking about body awareness. We're talking about consent. We're talking about safety. We're talking about um, relationships, mm-hmm. interpersonal interactions. We're talking about empathy. We're talking about um, uh, media literacy, right? We're talking about gender and, and sexual orientation. So it, there's a, there are a slew of topics under sexual health and ways in which uh, things that have nothing to do with sex and that can start early and lay those foundations. Right, right. That... I- <laughs> I think about I think about everything that you just said and I think about the things that we wish that we knew growing up. What do you wish that you knew or you feel or you feel that you were missing out on when you were growing up? Yeah. This conversation? That's a great question. Um so I wish that I knew that I did not have to seek out, uh, for my value, for my worth, that it did not have to exist within another person. Um, I know that's maybe a a little deep. No, I like Um, it. Because I was someone, yeah, I I was someone that found myself seeking out connection and, um, and then that looked like, uh, sex and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wish I had known, I wish I had a better sense and that that was nurtured within me, a better sense of self, uh, self-worth, self right? Mm. Connection to self. I was an early masturbator. I enjoyed uh, touching myself and masturbating. Mm-hmm. I wish I'd know and that that was healthy and that there was nothing wrong mm. with me or abnormal uh, about that. Mm. So just more nurturing and support when it came to my own self-worth and value. I think that I would have made some different choices. I did end up having a child um, at a younger age. Mm -hmm. I uh, conceived my oldest when I was 17. Mm. And I, so when I, you know, moved into the parenting role myself, it was important that I, at least, it wasn't so much about, you know, don't get pregnant, don't, you know, that that would be the the negative or worse outcome. (laughs) It was more that I wanted her to understand and know her value, her worth. I wanted her to come in at understanding herself because I knew inherently through my own experience hold of that, once we really know that as individuals, then that that shapes and influences our decision making. That shapes and influences the type of connections we make with other people. And and in that, then our sexual decision making can be impacted in positive ways. So that's what I really wanted to focus on and I wish that I'd had that kind of mentorship when I was growing up. Mm, I love that. I think when I think about it, I think I, I think I wish that I was empowered, meaning that I wish that all yeah. the choices that I made were made out of um, my own, like my own decision and not out of fear. So I feel yeah. that I yeah. did not act on a lot of things because of fear, 
rather than being able to like sit down, look mm-hmm. at a situation and decide like, do I want to engage in this or not engage in this based on like being empowered, having knowledge, knowing what consequences are, knowing what pleasure was, etc. But I feel because yeah. I grew up and, you know, growing up Catholic and especially being in a Catholic school environment, a lot of everything that they teach is very fear based, not always based in hope or mm. love. And I feel like my fear kept me from like trying things or learning about things or asking questions about things. And I don't want, right. I don't want, and I think that's why I'm so passionate about our work because I don't want another person to be walking around blind because my fear could have led me to just totally wilding out and being like f this nothing's going to happen to me which happened to a lot of my peers and where they're just like i I don't have the Mm -hmm. knowledge so therefore i'm just going to do whatever i want whereas me i was like oh i don't know what's going to happen so i'm just going to I'm I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to I'm not going <laughs> I'm not going to ask questions. I'm not going to try and like experiment. I'm just I'm just scared. I'm just scared and there's nothing like being scared and unempowered and not knowing what's happening cuz that could have led to people telling me what like my friends mm-hmm. could have told me what could have happened or my cousins which all would have been false information or poor information and so I just wish I had the tools. I think, I think that's what it comes down to me. Let me make yeah. the decisions that are rooted in the, like information. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. We've got to, we've got to not fear the sexuality of our young people yeah. and give them the tools, the resources and the support so that they can make informed decisions Absolutely. like that. Truly. I did not want um, some other person telling my daughter what felt good mm. or trying to convince her of what felt to her body. Mm. I wanted her to be very clear. Um, so as she, you know, uh, naturally came into masturbation and, and, and pleasure, you know, with her, for herself, that was something that I felt it was important for me to support and acknowledge, um, and, and give her the, the uh, the words, the shared language around what was what was happening, and normalize that for her, um, so that again she can pursue that. And I I completely you know now again that she's um, headed towards twenty, you know I see how those kinds of decisions and conversations that we had really have helped her to feel empowered and change the way she's approached relationships and her own. Uh, sexual decision making so I would not change a thing and then as I'm raising um I have an eight-year-old son wow and same thing you know (laughs) we're having these conversations right we're having these conversations really early and I believe that gender identity what genitals your children have those things do not change the conversations that need to be had with all children um and so we're we're talking and we're talking very openly and all of his curiosities they're so amazing and the last thing i would want is for him to feel ashamed of mm. the things that he's curious about uh or to you know shut down uh because then that's when it that's when it can get uh can go into a danger zone because yeah. then they start then they start listening to other sources mm-hmm. out there or to their peers who may not have all the information because they're they're not being fed where yes. they can be at home. Yes. I love man, we got real deep for for a few minutes. <laughs> 
but it's so important. <laughs> so, all right. We, I think when I'm dealing with parents, we talked about, you know, our experiences, what we lacked, what we wish we knew, um, why it's so hard. But I think the number one thing that when I'm working with parents that comes up is they don't know what to say when. And I think that's always a fear of parents. Like they're afraid that they're going to either give so much information like that, like you said, makes them want to go out and try things, Mm -hmm. which we know is false. But I think they're just like, wait, when am I supposed to talk? Or when am I supposed to say this? Or when are we supposed to start broaching these topics? So what do you feel, I guess, broad, broad strokes, what do you feel that kids need to know and when? Yeah, so I think it's important that parents understand that this is not about following a script, um, that this is about relationship first, establishing uh, a supportive and trusting natural relationship of open communication Mm -hmm. with a child. And so if in the ideal scenario you're starting that early, um, then Children at earlier ages, when they're, you know, approaching language and, you know, exploring the world around them, they can be immensely and intensely curious. And so that's when, you know, around the ages of three, four, five, six, you know, when they may ask questions about, you know, their bodies, they're going to notice the bodies of the people around them, Mm -hmm. and they will be more, you know, open and no filter about their curiosities. They may ask where babies come from. These things will naturally flow from the best thing that we can do at those ages is follow their curiosities, you know, and simply just acknowledging that's a really great question. And then you can ask, well, what do you know about that? Or where have you heard that before? And then hear what they have to say, because sometimes we might misinterpret. We might get anxious or nervous at a certain question that we think, oh, gosh, how do they know about that? How do they hear about that? <laughs> um, and so it's good to kind of check in with them and ask them. And sometimes we find out, oh, that's that's not what they were talking about. <laughs> That's not what they meant when they asked that question, Whew, you know. Um, but being offering simple, you know, just direct answers, they, they don't want encyclopedias, right? They just want to know that they've got a, an affirming, safe space that they can talk to, as someone that they can talk to. And so earlier on, following their curiosities is important. And then as they move, you know, into past the preschool time and elementary age, it's great planting those seeds with a little more knowledge, a little more information. Um, And we definitely want to make sure that we're um, having those safety and those consent conversations. What does safe and unsafe touch look like? We want to understand their uh, instincts, their bodies, right? So what is that? How do they? What words they need to use for body parts so that um, they're using accurate terms? And also, what do certain feelings that they have? What yes. What does that feel like? Right? Definitely. Certain situations that they're in that might be comfortable or uncomfortable. Uh, we want to honor whether they want to have um, you know certain interactions with folks if they want to hug and kiss mm. grandma or auntie or not. Right? And yes. not force them into situations. Uh, we want them to get a sense for trusting their own body and their own um, instincts. And um, so those are things we can do early. Again, has nothing to do with sex, but they plant those seeds. And then 
as we move through, like a lot of times these days, uh, kids in the elementary age are getting devices, right? They're getting cell phones, they're getting tablets and uh, access to the internet in different ways. And so media literacy uh, and helping them to become good digital citizens, those are things mm. that we can start planting those seeds early and talking to them about, um, you know, what, what are they looking at? What do they see when they're uh, inter- intersecting with different apps or they're on YouTube, right? You can use those as conversation pieces so that there are just a lot of teachable moments, micro lessons, as I like to call them, um, so that it's not just one, you know, talk that happens and that we feel like we've built up to, because generally when, when parents wait till the, that preteen time or the teenage time, kids already know a lot of stuff, right? They've already picked it up, whether it's mm-hmm. fact or misinformation, you know, they, they can feel like they already know. And they've already picked up on their environment around them and their home culture around talking about these things. So I I, uh, often have parents who have kind of started a little later in the game and they say, well, my my teen, they don't want to talk to me. They don't want to talk to me anytime I try to bring something up. You know, they they act all weird or, you know, they they seem resistant to it. And and that's feedback a lot of times. Um, They've picked up on early on whether certain words, terms, Mm. topics, uh, were safe or not, yes. were um, something was considered appropriate or not. And so parents, it's good to just kind of check ourselves, right? Check in with ourselves and say, what are our values around these things? What are those things that we might have some biases over or some things that we didn't get information about and that we're still unclear on? And uh, and then seek out the knowledge for ourselves so that we can feel really confident when we want to tackle these, these conversations. Yes. And know that we do not have to know it all. There are tons of books and uh, and websites and resources now, but I, I, I always like to direct parents towards books because that can be just that um, safe space that you can create, uh, especially when children are young, and crack open a book, story time, and talk through, right, and have pictures and images, things that can bring what can feel like overwhelming, difficult topics um, into the context that's age-appropriate for their for young learners yes. and give you that jumping around so you can have these conversations and build off them over time. I love it. I I think I think all of those all of those pointers make sense and I like how you said, you know, even if you're starting early, even if you're starting late because we just want people to start talking. <laughs> and right. I think that right. what intimidates parents And I I mean, I don't know, maybe it's pop culture. I don't know where we got this notion from that we only need to have this conversation one time. Like what apply when your child is five years old does not like applies when they're 15, applies when they're 18. Like y'all, that doesn't make any sense. Like just like your child needs to take math every single year. Nobody says like my child already took math. I don't need to talk about that no more. Like, <laughs> yeah, you gotta build on that knowledge from different levels. And yeah, that's a great analogy. The same thing applies because otherwise, like, we we can make it weird, right? Yeah. How we come into that conversation can make the conversation weird. The actual topics, the actual information itself, actually is not weird. It's part of human nature. It's part of biology. It's yes. part of being a, a human being, a sexual human being, right? Um, mm. But we can bring weird into it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just like, I've so had... Just being aware 
how we're coming into into these conversations matters. Yes, yes. And I've had parents say like, oh, I'm good. Thank you so much for that brochure. I already talked with that. Okay, what's wrong with y'all? Like, it just makes me feel like <laughs> you just, you're not operating out of anything that makes sense. Like, we just, it doesn't make sense to sit there and talk with them at one time because we know that you haven't covered all topics and all all types of scenarios that they're right. ever going to face in life. And, well, and so sometimes it's that, and sometimes it's that threat. Like you said, don't get pregnant. <laughs> don't, don't get anyone pregnant. Don't, don't get an STD. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's the, the, if the talk comes from a place of, I talked to them, I told them to wear a condom and that's all I needed <laughs> to say on that. Or I threatened them, yeah. you know, if they ever got pregnant, if they ever came home, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. And then they think that they did, they did the, 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 the deed. Yeah. There, there's a lot that's missing from that conversation. And we're, leaving them less equipped, less prepared, less able to advocate for themselves, less able to um, have safer, more pleasurable interactions, especially for our vulva owners. Mm. And so that's, again, why I love so much what you do. Oh. And I know that, that you're intersecting with the with adults, with a yeah. lot of adults who didn't have that's the right. early talks, the supportive talks, the information. And so they're just now getting to know yeah. and coming into themselves. And that's where we have things like the Me Too, you know, movement, mm-hmm. where we've got a lot of adults out here who have experienced consent violations, sexual assault, sexual trauma, and some of that going all the way back to childhood. And, um, and we don't want that. Right. Yeah. Like we, we want to create some better opportunities and information and support is, is how we're going to tackle that best. We, 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 we don't want to. I, I think you, like in this field, it's like I, I want to not be needed. You know, <laughs> I want to not be needed in yes. the future. I want my job to be, you know, thinks because everybody's having the talks. Everybody knows everybody's got bad esteem. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Like we can move on to something. <laughs> See, that's the thing. I always, I always told myself like my ideal job would probably just be like photographer, artist, finding myself because it's like, you don't like saying you want to get to a point where all the stuff is mandated. All of it, like people are, are comfortable. We're having a conversation, but you're right. It's you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly why I created Vagistine because I was just noticing I'm dealing, I'm still dealing with adults who did not have these conversations at home and never had to open an honest space to really ask questions, no matter how right. basic they were in a place where they knew that they weren't going to get judgment where they knew they weren't going to be shamed. And mm-hmm. it just, and that's the thing that, that really gets me. It's like, y'all, if we don't do it, someone else is going to do it. Whether mm-hmm. that's television, yeah. aunties, uncles, cousins, somebody's going to put something in our child's minds that we can't, like we can't or are not going to be able to catch early enough to undo. And so it's just, it's right. when people just want to like throw this away or just avoid it. It's like, no, this is a matter of literally the, the for me, it's the quality of life that you have because who wants to walk around fearful? Who yes. wants to walk around with false information? Who wants to walk around doing things that they're not doing out of being empowered? And so if, if you want to right. engage in X, Y, and Z, I hope you want to engage in it because you understand pros, cons, good, bad, etc. And so mm-hmm. it's it's so important. Yep. And that's why I just love sex positive families yeah. and I will keep 
I will keep talking about it because we just got all this love. I know <laughs> it's a love fest. So I know we're winding down on time, but I have a listener question for you. But before we get there, I wanted to ask how. So we talked about our fears. We talked about what do people need to know now. How do we actually do this? How do we start having this conversation? Yeah, so I say start today, right? Yes. So if you have a child in your life, in your world, um, you can literally start today. And it could be as simple as, uh, you know, make sure that you find a space, right, that feels safe. Uh, know the personality of the child that you're working with. Mm. This isn't something that you want to, you know, embarrass them or necessarily spring on them. <laughs> um, but it's perfectly okay to say, you know what? Um, I've been thinking there's something I'd like to talk with you about um, that I realize we haven't covered, we haven't talked about, but I want you to feel really empowered. I want you to feel really informed. And so, and then, you know, whatever that particular topic area is, then start that conversation yes. and know that if, let's say you have a little bit older child, you know, if that um, hasn't been the theme, the culture, you know, some of the things that you've discussed, that there may be some kind of clamming up or some <laughs> semblance of, uh, you know, resistance or just uh, discomfort and that that's completely normal and you yes. can acknowledge that. And I always say, too, that using our own personal stories can be super powerful yes. in connecting us with uh, other humans, including our children. And so if, especially if you, if your journey involves, uh, not having grown up with this kind of support. And so you're trying to change and shift the narrative for your own children. It's okay to, to say that, to be vulnerable and say, you know, my parents didn't talk to me about these things. And that's why I feel it's, it's really important. Or my parents didn't talk to me. And that led to a few things happening in my life that I think could have happened differently mm. if I had some knowledge mm. and I really want to, to do differently for you. So kids really understand empathy. They really understand honesty. Yes. And I think sometimes that that's the thing that parents are not always as comfortable with is, is letting the walls down, you know, not having to be perfect or be some superhero and instead just be another human being and yes. connect on a real human level and open up that, that conversation with them. So it, it literally can start right now it can start today yes. and know that it's not just going to be that one time that that's going to plant a seed that's going to say oh hey I didn't know that we could talk about this stuff yes. right and so so maybe that first conversation maybe a little bit more of you talking um, it's good to ask questions you know check in and say what have you heard about um, porn is something that uh, it's great to check in with young people these days about that because they're hearing about it no matter how sheltered you want to believe that you're keeping your child um, if they're leaving the home and they're going into school settings or they're going into, you know, other care settings with family members, especially, you know, older kids or older teens or whatever, chances are they've heard about um, pornography or they've seen, they've seen images. And we want to, to open up that conversation so that they're not left out, right? And they're not left to try to make sense of what they're seeing or having someone else try to expose them mm. to it or tell them what they are seeing or should feel about what they're mm -hmm. seeing. So conversations allows us to be more plugged in, allows us to be more connected, not as an investigator. We don't want to be investigators, right? Mm -hmm. We want to be mentors. We want to be supports. And so, um, so just, yeah, start, start today and just start with one, one conversation, one check-in. Um, but don't, but, but know that you can build off of that. Yes. And I love how you emphasize conversations because this 
being able to do this requires you to see the child in your life. For me, I don't have kids, but I have, you know, I have my nephew who's really young and I'm very committed to having this conversation with him. And of course, like all the young people that I, that I teach, but it requires me to see you as a human being who can contribute to this Mm -hmm. conversation because I think a lot of our parenting style and, or the way that we've been raised is that I just tell you what to do because you're a child. You won't listen to me and I'm just going to tell you, and you're supposed to take what I'm saying as gospel. And there's nothing wrong with like sharing your values of the household or whatever it is with the children on our lives. But it does require us having conversation to hear like, oh, what did you hear about this? Or like, what did your friend say about Mm -hmm. this? Or, you know, how do you feel about this? Rather than just being like, let me tell you what's going to happen and what's not going to happen. All right, well, you lost the opportunity to really have a conversation. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, we can't shut that down. We have to accept the fact that healthy, like that risk-taking is a part of living. It's a part of living a fulfilling life. And so uh, definitely as much as in in our younger years, as much as we can be supported as human beings in being able to take risks and being able to kind of explore the Mm. world around us and people and relationships and ourselves, that's how we're going to learn. That's how we're going to... um, to gain the skills and the knowledge firsthand. Um, So instead of being told, like you said, instead of being told what to do, what to think, how to think, we have to respect that our young people are autonomous, completely separate human beings. And so, and, and our role with them, if you're looking at it from that, you know, birth to 18, that just is like 18 years of their life. They have generally, um, ideally much longer, you know, life after those years. And so we really just have them for a short time. Mm -hmm. And so how can we use that time and, and be that touchstone that they can come back to? Because if we shut that down they're as soon as they're set free, as soon as they truly feel free, (laughs) then they're going to (laughs) escape because if they felt trapped, right? So we don't want to, we don't want them to feel trapped. Absolutely. Yeah, we want to, to give them that incentive to come back to us. And that's through connection. That's mm-hmm. through relationship. Yes, yes. All right, I have one listener question, and then I'm done with you. So I have a right. listener question from, I'm going to call, don't know if she wants me to use her name. So I'm just going to call her um, Lyric. So Lyric says, okay. um, my son has been searching sex on Google. He's seven. And this is the second time. Um, this is the second time. And it was done voluntarily the first time. What do I do? Excellent. Excellent question. <laughs> so number one, know that that that's happened is perfectly normal because it's perfectly normal for your seven-year-old to be curious about the word sex because mm-hmm. that's a word that is said in our in our culture and that could be through media that could be at school that could be I remember uh, my son ended up hearing the word sex in kindergarten that's mm. before age seven and uh, in on the playground and so um, know that it's there's nothing wrong with your son that that's this is the normal uh, 
curiosity and behavior for his age. There's nothing that you've done wrong as a parent. Sometimes parents go to that place and that's what kind of puts them on in the fear and defensive place. Nothing that you've done wrong. Um, so now you see that he's, he seems persistent, right? He seems persistent that he really wants to know information. <laughs> Celebrate yeah. that fact that, wow, my, my child is really curious knows how to go online and find information. So let me let me use this as an opportunity to be a helpful resource for him and help meet his curiosity. Mm-hmm. And so checking in and saying, you know, and again, if we come from a punitive place, we don't want to penalize the fact that this child is curious and that this child knows how to seek out knowledge. We want to direct them to the uh, healthy places that they can go, reliable places that they can go to get information. And so being able to show them that you can be that resource, that they don't have to fear or do things in, in hiding or in secrecy is really important. So just approaching your seven-year-old and saying, um, okay, I noticed that uh, you searched, so just using truth and facts, I noticed that uh, you searched the word sex. I want you to know first that it is completely normal to be curious about words like that. Um, And so I'd love to be able to talk to you about this and give you information about sex. And so that then opens that door. Um, You can check in with them and say, where have you heard the word sex before? What have you heard about sex? Um, That way I know what information to give you. Um, And then when when he answers and gives you information, then that can inform, again, is he hearing it from certain people in y'all's world? Is he hearing it from certain places? That tells you what he did here, because sometimes that can be interesting and funny, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, certain pieces of information, and then know where to fill in the gaps uh, for it. And then you can bring it back. Once you've given him that space to be able to openly share, and he, you can, and you've created that space that he feels comfortable sharing, then definitely give him the information that he's seeking, you know, and it's not about, again, it's not about uh, saying the exact right words or being that textbook. And if you're not sure how to approach it, there are lots of resources that either you can look at um, independently and come prepared with, or that you all can look together and you can find that out. And so again, if reading a book and reassuring him, I want to make sure that you know what sex really is and that you get the facts. So I have this book um, and I have a few books. I don't know if it will be, you'll be sharing resources, but um, sex is a funny word. That's a great book by Corey Silverberg um, that can be good for that age. Also, It's Not the Stork um, by Roby Harris. Um, That's a really great book. And so when you show your child that a it's okay to be curious and b i'm going to meet your curiosity with information then then you're going to see that they're going to be more open to coming to you for curiosities and not going online and then finally wrapping it up with him in terms of making sure he walks away with understanding of where he can go to find information and that sometimes when we go on google and we search things like that we might get some confusing some conflicting information or some things that may not feel very very appropriate. And so that's when you all can kind of come to an understanding about rules that you have and values that you have in your home about how to use the internet, right? Mm. How to use the media that he does have access to. So, so many opportunities there. And it's 
I promise you, when you dive in, when you just take, put that little, put, I won't say dive, when you stick the little toe, <laughs> when you stick the big toe into um, the waters of being able to start these conversations, you will be so proud and affirmed at how strong your connection with your child will become mm. and how they'll come to you with questions and instead of going straight to Google. Yes. I love it. Melissa, thank you so much for being on. Thank you for sharing all of your great insights. I feel like we could talk about this for five more hours because, duh, of course, there's so many experiences. (laughs) But before you go, where can we find you? How can we support your work? And of course, if you send me anything, I'll put them in the show notes. Excellent. Yeah. So sexpositivefamilies.com is uh, the website and uh, we've got all kinds of tools and resources for families. One of our most popular is uh, our list of over 100 books uh, that are across the ages, even some for parents and adults, um, so that you can be confident and competent influencers and have the tools and the resources. So I'd say definitely check out the website. When you sign up for um, our mailing list, you will get sent absolutely for free um, our download, which is Porn Talks. It's a cheat sheet for parents and caring adults uh, so that it can help you know what to say, when to say it um, about talking to kids about porn and sexually explicit media. We also have a a free online course uh, that you can sign up for, and it'll be five lessons that are sent directly to your inbox uh, that teach you the foundations of sex-positive parenting, so basically how to raise sexually healthy children. Um, So those are just a few things that we have going on and definitely connect with our social media. Um, I know that's where it's on Instagram at sex uh, positive underscore families, Um, always putting out content. Uh, My goal is just to help uh, families strengthen these sexual health talks and feel feel more confident about the influence that, that they have. Yes. Melissa, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on. And I can't wait to talk about this with you again. Thank you. I really appreciate uh, everything that you do and that you put out into this world. And um, and yeah, anytime. I'm here. Let's chat. (laughs) Hey, y'all. I hope you enjoyed this latest episode. And I hope you learned something. So just to give you a little reminder, remember to contribute to the podcast by either dropping some coins in the collection basket at badgesteam.com. You can tell all of your friends about how much you love Badgesteam. When you're listening, you could use hashtag Badgesteam to let others know that you're listening and engage in the conversation. Also, it is so important, so, 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 so important that you rate, comment, Follow the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it. So if you have an iPhone, you could rate and leave a comment for me because I always want to hear feedback. I always want to hear about who's listening and what y'all think. So definitely let other people know um, by leaving a uh, write-up. And the more write-ups that we have and the more that people rate, the more that folks can find Bad Esteem and the more that will show up. So definitely, definitely, definitely. Leave me a review. Follow Vagisteam on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can even send your questions for the Q&A episodes to 443-692-7802, or you can email them to vagisteam at gmail.com. Make sure you spread the word. I want to hear from you. Drop me a line. I want to know what you think, and I hope all is well. 
At the end of this episode, we have some awesome listeners who share their stories about their birds and the bees talk or their talk and some lessons learned and, wish, and what they wish that they had learned, kind of like me and Melissa were talking about. So I hope you enjoy. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Hi, my name is uh, Shelby and I um, am sharing what my birds and the bees sex talk was like when I was about five years old. My mom told me, um, I guess like all of your specific parts, she used the words vagina, she used penis, she used the word sex to tell me how babies were made. And then she let me watch a live birth that was being aired on the Discovery Channel because that was a thing that used to happen. I don't know if it still happens. And that was pretty much it. She told me about what sex physically was, but then throughout the rest of my life, I was we grew up in a really um, my father was a pastor so besides knowing exactly what sex was in that the penis goes in the vagina and then babies come out the only other messaging that I got was that you should only do it when you are married that's the only time you should do it and doing it outside of marriage will result in heartbreak disease, pregnancy, um, heartbreak, a lot of heartbreak. She, she, she was very clear about how you don't want to be all used up by the time your husband comes around. And, um, so sex became a very scary thing, came, became a very mechanical thing and also a very scary thing. It's just something that you do, but then also it has these horrible, horrible consequences. Um, she never told me about how it can be pleasurable, though. Um, and that was one thing that kind of took me by surprise. <laughs> um, I really wish I had uh, been empowered to explore bisexuality on my own. When I did finally lose my virginity at the age of 22, I was very angst-ridden. And um, I was very naive. And um, I, I just, I, I did not know where my boundaries were. I didn't know what I was comfortable with. And I wish that, you know, maybe I had been able to talk to somebody earlier about it um, so that maybe it could have been a more positive experience. Um, uh, sex from that point on was uh, a secretive thing for me. Uh, I didn't actually tell my mom that I lost my virginity until I was about 29. <laughs> and I think those years of being afraid to talk about it um, made sex something that was a little shameful. But um, right now I feel good about my sex life. Um, I feel completely in control. Um, I am a much more vocal um, partner 
And um, like I, I strive to please my partner, but also like I'm very vocal about what I um, like and what I don't like. And I feel like I'm pretty late to the game with that. I think I, I'm about uh, 30, 32 now. So I've only been, I could only say that that's been true of myself over the last couple years. But um, yeah, so that's, that's it. That's, uh, that's what, uh, that's, that's what sex has been like. <laughs> Thank you. So my name is Chocolate Goddess. And, um, so my birds and the bees talk was when I was in middle school, um, my father actually gave me the birds and bees talk instead of my mom. And I'm not going to lie. It was really awkward. He did it randomly. Like we was in the house and then he called me to come in the kitchen and then out of nowhere, he was just like, what are your views on sex? Mind you, I'm in seventh grade, eighth grade. Um, I don't, I don't know too much and I'm wholesome. So... Um, I tell him, you know, you really shouldn't have sex until you're married. And he's like, no, that's not necessarily true. You can have sex, but, um, just don't make yourself seem easy. Um, the conversation was very short lived. It was very awkward, very uncomfortable. Um, thankfully, <laughs> like in the middle of us having this talk, my friend out of nowhere rung the doorbell, came to my house. I said, thank you, Jesus. I'm saved by the bell. So um, that was pretty much my birds and the bees talk. Um, and it's really interesting that my father told me, like, hey, you can have sex. Just don't make yourself seem easy. And to this day, like, I'm still a virgin. So, like, that just goes to show, like, parents can understand that you're only human um and at the end of the day you're gonna do what you want to do something that I wish I knew more of in terms of sex um I wish I knew how to I honestly wish I knew how to properly curve somebody without them getting addicted to me like I mean yeah I'm still a virgin but it's like I could let somebody give me oral sex and they'll stay on me forever like it's so crazy <laughs> one thing that I do actually wish that somebody could have educated me on growing up is it's okay to be a virgin you know what I'm saying like I'm 23 and I'm still a virgin and it's like I feel self-conscious about it sometimes I kind of feel like a desert like I'm on an island like I'm by myself everybody I meet is not a virgin and everybody's had these different experiences and stuff like that and it, being a virgin and waiting until you're married also makes dating so much harder it's like it's nothing for me to to get somebody but keeping them is totally different because they're gonna want to have physical interactions and me personally I'm just not the type of person that just wants to sleep with you just because you know you're attractive or I may have feelings for you at the end of the day people change things change and it's only but so much you can like a person it's only a matter of time because I'm not going to lie no matter how much you like somebody they could switch up on you in an instant and I don't want and I know so many people that regret losing their virginity to 
whoever they lost it to. And I don't want that to be me. I feel like I feel like my body is it's my temple and it's something that I hold near and dear to my heart. So I don't want to give my body away to the wrong person because of who I thought they were or because of their potential. Like, no, if I'm going to give you my body, you better be on your knees treating me like the queen that I am. Period.